You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. How good are you at saying no to people? I'm talking your child who wants you to stay by them until they fall asleep, your partner who wants to go away for the weekend and you're exhausted, your mum who wants to have a birthday lunch for your aunt. None of these things individually are terrible. Some of them might bring you joy. But my next guest says the problem comes when the amount of times you say yes to things starts impacting on your own well-being. Grace Jennings Edquist is a journalist and author of The Yes Woman, How to Reclaim Your Power by Finally Saying No. Hi, Grace. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm well, thanks. And thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, So we've got to start with a very important question. Why are there more yes women than yes men? I think that's a really important question. Um, And I should start by saying, look, some of these tendencies I talk about in the book do apply to people of all genders. Certainly my husband read an early draft and said, hey, I think I'm a yes woman too. (laughs) So um, it it is not, it's not just women, but what I have found um, for researching for this book, and I talk to about 200 people for this book, both everyday women and also experts, you know, psychologists who specialise in things like perfectionism and people-pleasing, and they said that it is more, more often women who suffer with this issue. Partly it's because from a very young age, girls are really socialised to be nice, be agreeable. Um, we're praised when we're self-sacrificing. Um, and similarly, we're also kind of disciplined more as kids if we do speak out of turn, if we are uh, loud, we're called bossy. Um, All of these things, I think, play a part in teaching teaching us as girls to kind of be nice or say yes to keep other people happy and perhaps put other people's needs first. And certainly there's a huge expectation on mothers to um, self-sacrifice, sometimes to the point where our own wells are completely dry. So I think that 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 gendered kind of socialisation that we see in society, you know, it's more important to be liked than be respected. That kind of stuff uh, is something that the experts certainly emphasised to me when I was researching for this book. And that's that's partly why I've called the book The Yes Woman, not just The Yes Person. Mm. And, I mean, you are a self, well, were a self-confessed yes woman. How did this play out for you when you became a mother? What did it look like having had that history of being a yes woman before you had a child? Um, I can imagine the impact is probably felt more intensely once you have a baby. Yes, absolutely. So before having a baby, I was already a bit of a yes woman. I'd always been in a sort of state of yes being my go-to answer. I was definitely a perfectionist, uh, definitely kind of a people pleaser. Like didn't want to, I didn't want to let anyone down or be seen as rude or selfish by saying no. But I suppose before I had a baby, I had a bit more capacity to to do that. So uh, yes to taking on extra stuff at work. Yes to you know, styling my hair each day before work to be really <laughs> professional, you know, whatever it is. And I'm talking about yes to both um, direct invitations and favours, but also yes to those kind of like assumed uh, expectations of society, you know. And then once I became a mother, it completely <laughs> wore me out and it just became too much to handle because obviously I, I had to say yes to this small little human that I had a very legitimate responsibility to. But there I was trying to also say, oh, yes, I'll look over your CV to that old uh, work colleague that, you know, needs some career advice and, yes, I'll help that person move house and, yes, I'll um, <laughs> make some food, for you know, and and you just kind of can't be everything to everyone and you certainly can't be everything to everyone and do it all perfectly, which is what I was trying to do. 
So for me, this all came to a head when my baby was four months old. And I remember just being completely depleted, so anxious. And I remember sobbing to my mum, I am so freaking tired. I just want to walk into the ocean. And I was, I was actually not depressed or suicidal, but I was just so completely overwhelmed and burned out. Um, and so I ended up actually checking into a perinatal mental health unit. So they sometimes call them mother and baby units, but basically a psych ward for struggling new mums with their babies and uh, spent a few days there, which was a much needed sort of break from my usual routine of yes, yes, yes. And that's really what stemmed, you know, this thought process of why are we making ourselves sick? saying yes and and realising that it wasn't just me suffering from this. And there's something about motherhood, isn't there? Um, in your book, you talk about the myth around motherhood, that it it to be a good mother, there's this idea that a, a truly good mother will sacrifice everything for their child. And um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I'm at the same time as agreeing with that myth that there is a myth around motherhood, I'm astounded that it still exists in 2021. Do you think it's astounding that the, we still have this really strong social idea, I guess, of motherhood in this day and age? Yeah, it's interesting because there are some time use studies that show that women today, mothers today, actually are more involved as parents, um, spend more intensive time with their parents than women used to perhaps in the 60s or something. And it is astounding in the sense that, you know, women are now, you know, more often than not working um, in paid work. I mean, they often have big lives outside the home. Um, we're all kind of much more educated than we used to. But at the same time, we have these intense expectations that uh, we'll not only be good mums, but that we'll be perfect mums. And I think a lot of this is kind of fueled by this the rise of social media, perhaps. Um, a lot of the mothers I talked to in interviews talked about the sort of social media influence of, you know, all these beautiful influences with their bar and made babies in linen and the toddlers <laughs> never have dirty noses and um, the food is always organic and there's, they're not having any sugar till they turn five. And it's like, how does this work in the real world? And so these are the images we're holding ourselves up to. I talk also in the book about um, this type of parenting that's become normalised in our society in the last few decades really called intensive mothering or intensive parenting so it's not just kind of keep a kid alive and teach them some basic skills and make them feel loved it's actually constantly attempt to decipher the kids wishes and needs and then meet them at almost any cost even if that leaves you completely even if it's beyond your own <laughs> abilities really so it can be just very exhausting uh and unrealistic in a lot of ways, I think. And I think the the thing that interests me about intensive mothering is that although I I consider myself to be pretty well educated, pretty self aware, and not sucked into Instagram, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram, and yet I definitely have been influenced by the idea of intensive mothering. Like I've definitely thought that I've been failing at parenthood because I didn't grow the vegetables that my children ate for breakfast when they were little <laughs> or, you know, the amount of angst over how many vegetables they ate or how much television they watched. And I know that wasn't something that bothered my mum. I'm not saying she didn't have other worries, but I guess I'm kind of fascinated at how people who I would have thought should know better like I think I should know better especially because I host a parenting podcast 
don't. We're still that societal influence of what we should be as women and mothers is so strong. I find that too. And besides my, despite my better knowledge, I kind of found myself gravitating towards this as well. And I think that some of it is to do with the subtle societal messages um, that women get as soon as they become pregnant or announce their pregnancy, really. So I talk in the book about, um, you know, you're gifted these beautiful things for the baby to ensure the kid has the best of everything. And no one's really going, oh, well, how's the mum traveling in this? You know, and then you have the baby and it's all everyone wants to meet the baby and very, you know, everyone's giving these beautiful little baby leggings, but no one's kind of like, here's a massage for the poor stressed out <laughs> mum. And then, and people say little things like, and they mean well, they're well-meaning, but they say, oh, go see a movie now while you can. Um, the expectation being, once you have a baby, you'll never, you know, your yes. partner will never hold the baby for two hours while you see a movie. <laughs> and then, and then there's all the stuff like Mother's Day cards. It's all, you gave so much for us, mum. And um, media, I remember quotes, I know you said you don't use Instagram, but I think Pinterest it was. I was scrolling on Pinterest one day when I was pregnant with my first with my first kid and there was this quote that said, um, motherhood is when you stop being the picture and start being the frame for somebody else. Oh and my I was God. just like, oh, my goodness. Like, bit, <laughs> all this kind of, there's all this kind of, in that case, not subtle messaging, but this message that you sort of stop being your own person and you live entirely for another person, which I actually don't think motherhood, like I don't know that that makes you a better mother. I think that sounds really kind of like you lose your purpose and it sounds a bit depressing. But oh god, yes. You know these messages do get to us at some level, even if we our logical brain thinks no, that that doesn't have to be the way. And I think particularly one last thing I'll say is during the pandemic, there's been a rise in this thing called urban homesteading. So this idea that you know we make our own bread and we craft and we do all this wholesome <laughs> vegetable gardening, gardening at home. Which now now that we're in I think lockdown six in Melbourne, it's like well. Stuff that that's not realistic, but I think we got a bit stuck it in for the last year. A lot of us into that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's terrifying for me. <laughs> um, and <laughs> on the flip side of all of that, all of that expectation for women to be a certain way once they become mothers, we also have a lot of judgment around women who choose not to have kids. Um, and in your book, you talk about um, you know the strength it takes for women to say no to things and saying no to motherhood actually still has a consequence in our society. I mean, what did you find when you spoke to those women? Yeah, um, a lot of them really felt that they had to they had to really justify their choice um, very commonly and kind of in scenarios where they'd just be, you know, meeting a stranger at the party and automatically they said uh, the conversation would turn to, oh, do you have kids? How old are your kids? And they had to almost have this concept coming out of, no, actually, that's not my identity. No, I've decided not to do that thing. And um, as someone who does have a kid and has another on the way, I think I probably hadn't been aware of exactly how central that is to society's understanding of what it is to be a woman and how confronting it is to have to kind of justify that you've lived your life in a different way every day of your life. So some of these women said that they had this tendency then to almost work harder or have a more high-flying career or be really exceptional in these other ways to fill this kind of, I, I suppose, to justify this failure to fulfil what society sees as a woman's worth in a lot of ways, which is a very kind of gendered, sexist, old-fashioned idea. Um, mm. And one of the psych psychotherapist experts I talked to said, well, actually, you know, women should be able to just live their lives. They shouldn't have to live their lives and make up for not having kids in inverted commas, by being exceptional in some other way. You know, we can just live. We don't have to justify ourselves to everyone. But <laughs> certainly it's, um, yeah, societal message that not only 
should a woman be a mum, but she should be a super intense mum and super involved. So I think there's expectations on women, no matter what decisions we make around around parenting, sadly. And with all of the understanding of the societal pressures and not and not try, try not to buy into it, I've got to say, I still find it so hard to say no to my kids. Like, it's like now in lockdown, um, I'm with them all day, every day. And then when my partner comes home, I start work and then we have dinner, I keep working and then they go to bed and they want me at bedtime. And when they come and say, oh, mommy, can you come in? Can you do this? I mean, I often do enjoy being with them, but sometimes I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I've been doing this since <laughs> since I woke up this morning. Okay. <laughs> Do you really need me? Don't you? You know, there's a fa- you have a father there. You have someone there, but I still find it really hard to say no to them because I feel a sense of um, emotional responsibility that I'm the one they come to when they need someone, and that if I don't answer that need, then I'm hurting them somehow. Um, how do we learn to say no to our kids? I, I don't know. Um, should we be saying no? <laughs> John, it's a really good question and I totally relate and I totally get the guilts when my daughter wants me to get down on my hands and knees and play with her for another half an hour and I'm like, I'm so tired and you have a father and you can do independent play. But, you know, we do. I think it's part of this intensive mothering message. We feel that we have to be very, very hands-on or else they'll somehow be deprived. But I think it can be helped to look at some of the research on this that shows that... Um, when it comes to being a being a parent, sometimes being good enough is actually better than being a perfect parent. So there's some studies that have been published showing that it's actually the quality of time you spend with a kid rather than the quantity of time. So you don't have to say yes to every single time they ask you to do something. I think it's more about um, making sure that at least some of the time you are you are present and meeting those needs. But I think also another tip that. Um, someone called Georgina Manning, who's the owner of uh, Wellbeing for Kids in Melbourne and a registered counsellor and psychotherapist in Melbourne. She was telling me when I interviewed her for the book about how teaching your kids to put up with you saying no is actually teaching them a great amount of resilience and empathy. So basically you're you're doing them a, a solid really by teaching them how to handle delayed gratification they're learning, uh, other experts told me about how to understand that someone else has, has a different mind to theirs. Um, they're learning that the other person has other needs as well. Um, it's not always appropriate if they're a baby who needs to eat. You know, they're not going to understand that. But we're talking about, you know, if you've got a four-year-old and you say, hang on, sweetie, I'm actually finishing this. Um, I'll be with you in a minute. That's actually, that's actually good for them. Mm. You're also fostering independent play and you're also being a role model. So you're sort of, if you were modelling self-care and you're saying, sweetie, mummy's exhausted, I'm going to have a bath, your dad's putting you down tonight, it's actually kind of good for them to know, you know, your mum also values herself, women can value themselves, parents can value themselves, we still love you, but it's completely fine to respectfully put in boundaries as long as those kids' needs needs are met by someone. Uh, So I think reminding yourself of the benefits of saying no is a really good one and avoiding that trap of, certainly for me, because I'm a working mum and I sometimes do have the guilt of I haven't spent as many hours with you in the day as as I would have liked to, I sometimes then find myself saying yes, yes, yes to everything and being more overindulgent when I do see her. But reminding myself, well, it's not it's not doing her a, a favour by, you know, letting her have a million marshmallows when I see her and kind of spoiling her as a sort of guilt-driven thing. Yeah. So yeah. I think just being conscious of that trap as well, which is something a lot of mums told me when I interviewed them for the book. Mm. And how important is it that our partners 
back us on this because I I sometimes feel that this is um, – I mean, it's the privilege, isn't it, of not seeing what's right in front of you. Like, if you've been brought up to see, to be in a powerful position in society, which men are, um, then you're not necessarily going to see those roles and how they can be unfair and unequal. So, when you're in a partnership, sometimes dads can fall into that trap of going, oh, well, mummy's the one they want for cuddles and for the empathy and that's what she gives them and I I give them the rough and tumble play. So when they come at 9 o'clock and you've worked all day and the kid says, mummy, I want some cuddles, and then the dad just sits back and goes, yeah, well, that's what you do. That's gone. You do that, darling. I mean, how how important is it that our partners actually recognise that, you know, parenting is a two-person job? (laughs) Oh, it is. I cannot overstate how how important this is, honestly. And this was when it comes to, this is what I talk about in the book in terms of um, saying no to your partner, really, or evening up the unpaid childcare duties at home, or what we have come to know was the mental load. So all that stuff that tends to fall to the woman as the primary caregiver of keeping the mental list of what groceries to buy and remembering kids' vaccination dates. And yes, being the primary parent um, who has to remember to go in and what the favourite storybook is at the moment. Um, So I think a really important starting point is have a really frank conversation about division of labour with labour with your partner. Um, Mm. And that might be really calling out what are the assumptions here that we're operating under? And it might be your partner has an assumption because he might have grown up in a family that has more traditional gender values around, uh, you know, a woman is the one who will be the primary parent and she will be the one who gets up overnight with the baby because um, the dad's going to paid work. And, and these are kind of assumptions that can take hold very early on and and set a pattern um, despite the best will in the world of, this, of the couples. And then the woman might go back to work after maternity leave and find I'm still the default parent. I'm still carrying this mental list in my head. It gets exhausting. So call out those assumptions and often, um, and I'm talking about heterosexual relationships because that's what a lot of this division of labour um, research revolves around. Um, often it will be that the man has the will to be involved. He wants to be an involved parent, but he kind of is like, well, I don't know how to get started or I'll do it wrong. Um, mm. So I think frank conversation with your partner and then also make sure that you don't gatekeep when they do do their thing. So if your kid comes out of the bedroom in the morning and she's dressed in like a tutu and gum boots and like a <laughs> pair of shorts <laughs> over the top and like my toddler does this sometimes, you don't then say to your partner, oh, no, that's wrong, I'm going to go do it again. Because it's kind mm. of like, no, you let him have his portfolios in parenting, he does it how he wants, and uh, you don't want to kind of erode his confidence and reinforce that idea that you're the one who is the master parent. Yeah, yeah, that's very good advice. Well, Grace, it is such an interesting book and there's so much in it that resonates for me. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much, Siobhan. I really appreciate you having me on. That's Grace Jennings-Edquist, and we'll put links to her book, The Yes Woman, in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.